Well, I want to invite you to meet John's Jesus. When Jesus walked the face of the earth, he had a best friend. A best friend who had been there with him during his public ministry. He was an eyewitness to the public ministry of Jesus. And long after Jesus had returned to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, after all of the other disciples had been murdered for their faith, John, as an old man, sits down and he writes a biography on the life of Jesus. We call them a gospel of his best friend, Jesus. And in the next number of months, we are going to be walking through the gospel of John together. And over the years, I've preached numbers of these passages, and so we're not going to go verse by verse through the entire 21 chapters but we are going to go chapter by chapter together. And what we're going to do as we do this is, John is going to say to us, I want you to understand, I want you to know God, and the way to do this is it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. That in fact, the most important thing about you, and this is not an overstatement, the most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus. The most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus. In the word of Mark Driscoll, he says that Jesus is not only bigger than you think, he's bigger than you can think. Let me say that again. He's not only bigger than you think, he's actually bigger than you're capable of thinking. And so we're going to learn together in the next number of months how to be Jesus' best friend from the one who was his best friend. Because Jesus, as this series is called, wants to be our nearest and dearest friend. So let's meet John's Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that sounds deeply inviting to me. So let me tell you a little bit about the guy who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was the author of the Gospel of John and then three smaller letters at the back of the Bible, but we're going to be focusing on the Gospel of the John. John grew up with his brother James working in the family business and his dad was an entrepreneur, his dad was a successful businessman, they had hired men, they had boats, they had nets. And one day, he and his brother James were slated to take over the family business, but they were working one day on the Sea of Galilee with their hired men. And the text tells us that Jesus walked by and said to James and John, not to all of them, just to James and John, follow me. And the scripture says that immediately they dropped their nets right where they were, they left their dad, and they followed Jesus. They left everything. They left their inheritance. They left the family business, the family company. They left all of their stuff. And let me just pause and say to you that at times, following Jesus can cost you a lot. Never forget that. At times, following Jesus can cost you a lot. 
And for about three years, they studied under Jesus. And in a later book, in 1 John, John says, I have seen all this stuff with my own eyes. I was an eyewitness. I heard all of these things with my ears. I actually touched Jesus. He was a real human being, the God-man. I heard Jesus preach. I saw Jesus teach. I saw Jesus supernaturally heal people, cast out demons. I saw as he lived, as he died, as he rose from the dead. And we're going to discover in John, as he spent time with Jesus, at first he was quite arrogant. He said at one point, Jesus, I would, when you become the king of all the earth, I want to sit right at your right hand. I want to have the primo place. And so he was quite arrogant. At times he would be very impetuous and angry. One time they went into a town and they were teaching there. The townspeople rejected them. And John turned to Jesus and he said, Can we call down fire from heaven and destroy this entire town? And so like me and like you, John needed some work. And over those years, Jesus worked in his life. Thomas, one of the other apostles, doubted Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. But one of the things that John always did is he stuck by the stuff. He always loved Jesus. He stood with Jesus. He was one of the inner three. There was 12 disciples in Jesus' leadership team, but he had an inner three. John was one of the inner three. Peter, James, and John. 90% of the book of the Gospel of John is unique material not found anywhere else in the Bible. As I said, he wrote this book towards the end of his life. The first three Gospels, which we call the Synoptics, have 60% of their material that has similarities about it. And so John would have read the Synoptics, and he would have been saying, yeah, that's all good, that's all accurate stuff about Jesus, but now let me see and teach you some things that I observed as his best friend, as the one nearest and dearest to him. Let me teach you some things about Jesus. Jesus that are not contained in the synoptics. So how do we know that John was Jesus' best friend? A couple of reasons. Five times in the book of John, John is referred to as the disciple, as the one that Jesus loved. Five times. This is never said anywhere else. Five times this is said about John. And then we learn everything we need to know about their relationship in one particular setting of the scripture. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he is dying. Everyone knows he's about to die. And he looks down from the cross at his mom, and standing or sitting right beside his mom was John. And Jesus says to John, Take care of my mom. Jesus had brothers. Jesus had sisters. He didn't say to any of his biological half-brothers and half-sisters, you guys take care of mom. He didn't say that to any of them. No, he looked at his best friend, which is what you do when you're about to die. 
Look after my mom. Think about it with me. That tells me everything I need to know about their relationship. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of John, which is the fourth book in the New Testament. And we're going to begin in John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1. And as you're turning there, and again, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible or you can borrow a Bible. They're on the table at the back there. Augustine said this about the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. What he was saying by that is, if you know nothing about the Bible, if you do not have a relationship with God and know nothing about Jesus, you're not going to be overwhelmed because there is a simplicity to this message that a child can take in. But if you are among the most educated people in the world, you will never at the same time, because it's so profound, you will never plumb the depths of the truth of this book. Simple and yet incredibly profound. And we are going to look at some profound stuff today. So as the book opens, John doesn't introduce himself many times Um, as guys are writing these books, they'll introduce themselves, and rightly so. But John doesn't do that because John doesn't need an introduction. He's an old man, as I told you at this point, and all those other things about him that I've already told you are true. At this point, as he's writing the book, he is the highest spiritual authority living on earth. And so he doesn't need an introduction. He gets right into it. And here's what he says, and here's the essence of the message. If you forget everything else we talk about in the next few months, if you remember this, you have got it. Here's what John is going to say. This is what we've been singing about all morning and focusing on. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is the central message. It's all about Jesus. And so he's going to teach us a number of very profound things about him in this opening chapter. And the first one, the first idea is that Jesus is our eternal God. And so I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 3, uh, first of all, of John chapter 1. In the beginning, John writes, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You know, when you fill in a a job application or if you fill in a social media profile, they ask you some basic questions about yourself in order to begin the profile or the application. And really that's what's going on here in these first three verses. There's a number of basic questions that are being addressed. And the first one is, Who is this guy's, what's this guy's name? In scripture, there's a number of names for Jesus. John chooses to speak about Jesus Christ as the word. And then he said, the next question they'll often ask you in a job application or whatever is, what is your birthday? They don't always do that, but on social media, they will often ask you what your birthday is. And John says, Jesus' birthday is in the beginning. That's a lot of candles. I don't think there's a cake 
that's big enough to hold all of those candles. And so it's a complicated thing because when John is talking about the life of Jesus, Jesus is walking around on earth and he looks like somebody who's in his early 30s. And yet John the Baptist, not John the author of this, who was actually physically born before Jesus, says, Jesus was before I am. And John, who wrote the book, is saying, Jesus is eternal. He's in the beginning. He is uncreated. And in fact, verse 3 says he is the creator, that he actually has no birthday because he had no beginning. And it's the exact same language that's used in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. There was a moment that's pictured in Genesis chapter 1 when all of the, that there is in the universe was created. But pre-existing to that creation was the creator. Not made, the maker. Not bound by time. And this is Jesus, the word, in the beginning. And John says, my best friend has always been. And in fact, all of us come from him. And all of us will give an account to him one day. This is mind-boggling stuff. This is incredibly profound stuff. If you try to get your head around it, your brain will begin to short-circuit. The idea that he is eternal. But also hidden in this is that Jesus is all about beginnings. He's about the new beginning, and we're going to see this later in the text. And in a sense, what he's saying is, I don't, I don't know what 2019 was like for you. But John says Jesus rules the future. And he is a good God that we sang about this morning, who is all about new beginnings. And it doesn't matter what your past is. If you choose to walk with Jesus, the scripture actually says you become a new creation because you are aligned with the creator God. And you get a new beginning. You know, G.K. Chesterton, in speaking about this idea of eternity, he makes some interesting observations. He basically says this. Uh, he wrote a book, and in essence, the book said something like this. Uh, I can't quote it, but basically he said, um, don't think of God as old. Now, what he meant by that is that we often, as human beings, because we want to try to get our head around something, we tend to define God by our own limitations. We try to define him in terms and concepts we understand. And so we look at our life and we go, well, if I'm being real about my life, we sin, we grow old, our bodies start to break down, we get tired, and we project all of these things onto God, and so we tend to see God as this old man in the sky. But the truth of the matter is God does not sin. God does not get tired. God does not break down. That in fact, the truth of the matter is God is powerful, alive, and hopeful. And being eternal means he never gets old because not bound by time. He's always young or has that mindset or that vibrancy, but he has with it the perfect wisdom of being eternal, of seeing the end from the beginning. 
Next question on the application is, where do you live? And this passage says, Jesus, the Word, lives with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In eternity past, God is. And again, this, this amazing claim, he is saying, Jesus is God. Then he says, what's your job? This will often be the next thing on a social media profile that they'll ask you to fill in. John is saying Jesus' job was the most significant one in the history of the world. We, in fact, measure time by him. And these are some of the reasons for that statement I made at the beginning, which, again, is not an overstatement. What you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. If this stuff is true, what you think about Jesus is bar none the most important thing about you. Verse 3, as I've already sort of referenced, says that Jesus is our creator God. And it's very interesting because all of the other spiritualities and religions of the world put Jesus in the category of the created. So let's just go through a couple of them. If you were to go to a local Mormon church in this town, this is what they will teach you. Jesus is a created man who became a small g God. And the reality is that Mormon people, many of them are very good people, very sincere people, but utterly wrong. And in clear contradiction to the word of God, beware. If you were to go to a mosque and speak to the, the iman, and you were to ask the iman, who is Jesus? The iman will tell you that Jesus is a created man who became a prophet, prophet Jesus. Not as, not as big a prophet as Muhammad, but in the line of Muhammad. And again, so many Muslims are good people, but wrong, and in clear contradiction to the word of God. If you were to go to the Jehovah's Witnesses who, are, who meet just down the street not too far from us, they will say to you that Jesus is a created being who is an angel. Again, many of them good people, but wrong and in clear contradiction to the word of God. If you were to talk to a new age person or whatever you want to call them, who is Jesus? They will say he is a created being. He's a man who achieved a higher level of consciousness and again, many of them good people, but wrong and in clear contradiction to the word of God. If you were to speak to a Hindu person, they will say Jesus is a man who through karma continually reincarnated, entering higher levels of enlightenment. Wrong and in clear contradiction to scripture. All of them share one or more things in common. And one of the things they share in common is that Jesus is created, not as the Bible teaches, create understand this okay this is brass tack stuff this is foundational stuff when you get this wrong you have missed it and if this is not true Christianity is not true Christianity is a waste of time for the most part Everyone, this passage says, and everything comes from Jesus. Everyone will return to Jesus. Everyone will give an account to Jesus. We are here from him. We are here for him. And we will give an account to him. 
And the scripture will teach us as we go through this book that you only find real meaning in life in relationship with him. These are very grandiose claims, okay? They're either true or they're not. And this goes to our next point. Jesus is a polarizing God. Jesus is a polarizing God, beginning in verse 4 through verse 13. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. So this is another John, not the one who wrote this book, okay? Whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. John the Baptist wasn't. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was, and through him the world was made. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which were his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of natural descent, not of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're one of those who have believed, as this passage says, not just an intellectual check mark, but your life is utterly committed to him. If you are one of those, as verse says, 12 says, that has received him, that has become a biblical believer and is a follower of God, you think differently than everyone else. Now, one thing I want to make very clear, not in any way are we any better than anyone else, not even close. All we are is forgiven. All we are is in unearned, undeserved, unmerited relationship with God. And it's based exclusively on what Jesus did for us on the cross. But when we have given our life to Jesus, we have a different world view. Under all of the conflicts that are going on in this world, there is a foundational conflict that this passage illustrates. The culture that we are part of right now is increasingly moving to what I would describe as monism. M-O, it's not original with me, but M-O-N-I-S-M. Monism, and just see if this sounds familiar. See if you don't hear this kind of stuff every day right now. Monism doesn't like distinctions. Monism does not like differentiations of any kind. And so the idea of God and Satan don't like that. Angels and demons don't like that. Men and women don't like that. One bathroom, kind of like that. Heaven and hell, nope. Right and wrong, nope. Everybody's truth is equally valid. Lies and, and truth don't like that. Do not like any of those things. Do not like any of those distinctions. Everyone's truth, quotation marks, is equally valued, whatever works for you. To have a viewpoint apart from that is seen as intolerant and unloving. Does this sound familiar? Well, you bet it does. We see this every day, all the time, 
all around us, pushing in on us in, in the form of spirituality, in the form of social issues, uh, many times in the world of politics. These ideas are being pushed at us. How does the God of the Bible approach this stuff? What does Scripture say? God does not approach it at all in a monistic way. He approaches it with dualism or binary type thinking. The God of the Bible thinks in categories. And the categories are like this. There's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there's lies. There's light, as this passage says, and there's darkness. There's heaven and there's hell. There's God and there's Satan. And for a long time at the roots foundationally, particularly here in North America as well as in Europe, dualism was the general approach. Now it is migrated dramatically to whatever works for you. And this is a collision of two world views. In fact, not too long ago, a well-known politician that every one in this room will know said, we need to move away from binary thinking. And the culture is trying to force us, to berate us, to attack us, not to think dualistically, to think monistically, and trying to force us to think not as God thinks, not as the Scripture teaches, not as a biblical believer lives. And friends, this is the issue that's percolating under all of the issues. And we are pressed and pressured, and it will continue to grow to conform to that kind of thinking. And if you will not conform to that kind of thinking, they will seek to destroy. Some of them will. We see it all the time. This is why, as this passage says, we don't believe in all the religions. We believe in Jesus, as this passage says. And this passage is saying in the clearest of terms, Jesus is the matter of life and death. There is no issue bigger than that. You know, our world is all about let's get together and eliminate suffering. And that's a very noble idea. I think that's an idea worth pursuing and giving effort and, and resources to. But unfortunately, it overlooks the greatest suffering there is, which is this, eternal life apart from God in hell. The big lie of our world is this, contrary to what this teaches, the big lie of our world is that the light is in you or in me. And your light will fix this world. What's the result of that? Have you noticed how angry our world has become? You will believe as we believe or else. You will believe as we believe or else. And this is because they have bought the lie that they are the light. And the Bible, and this is how we think very differently. The Bible says we are not the light. Jesus is the light. Not me. Not you. Not them. Jesus. Monism will say to you, there are many paths to the small G God 
that you create in your mind and custom design to meet your needs in the way you want him to be. Dualism or binary biblical thinking says, no, receive or don't receive. Receive or don't receive Jesus. Very simple. And God says this. The world lives with an orphan heart. A broken heart. And this is why Jesus came. Because he loves us so much. And he came to heal that broken heart. God the Father loves us more than we can ever begin to comprehend. He could have just walked on us, and it astounds me that he didn't just walk on us. Instead, he sent his only son, and this is what this passage is telling us, he sent his only son to die for us. This is why Jesus came, to give and provide relationship with holy God. Lastly, Jesus is our human God. Verses 14 to 18. The, flat, the word became flesh. In other words, God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Jesus. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Even though John was born before Jesus, he's saying Jesus was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. How do we live in relationship with God? Well, God enters into human history. That's what this passage says. Religion will always say to you, man or woman ascends up to God. If you just do this list of things and don't do these things, somehow you will work your way up to what your idea or whatever your idea of God is. This passage, again, diametrically 180 degrees the opposite, says God descended to us, that he is willing to meet us wherever we are, that he's full of grace and truth, that Jesus comes as the rescuer, he comes as the savior, he's very God who has come to save you. Two times John says this in these 18 verses. He's really saying, is Jesus your only God. Not a small g God. Not a preferred God. He's the only God. You've got to understand, this is a big, big, big deal to John. John is a Hebrew guy. John has always been taught from the moment he was born, if you don't worship the God of the Bible, you will spend eternity in literal conscious torment in hell. This is no small thing that John is saying. It's everything to him. And he is saying, I am betting everyone's eternal soul on this truth, that Jesus is the only God. This is a binary truth. There's everyone else, and then there's Jesus. There's light, 
and darkness. There's lies, there's truth. There's heaven, there's hell. And Jesus asked the question in one of the Gospels, who do you say that I am? How you answer that question, third time I've said that, how you answer this question is the most important thing about you. In 17, he refers to the law, and what he's saying is the law is an indicator of, of, our, of our sinful choices, of the breaking of God's law, and that we all fall short of perfectly obeying it. But the good news of verses 14 and 16 is that Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. We rejected him, we hated him, we beat him, we crucified him. And in that very moment, this is when he substituted himself for us. His death for our life, his condemnation for our salvation, his rejection for our acceptance. And some people will call this the great exchange. And because of this action... He offers his righteousness, he offers his forgiveness, he offers daily relationship with him and eternal life. It means that God does not punish us as we so richly deserve. He punishes his son instead. Biblical truth, sorry, biblical faith rather, is trusting in what Jesus has done for you. So some are here today and you're saying, well, how can I get to know God? I can't see him. You know, it says in John chapter 4 that God the Father is a spirit. How can you, you know, I can't see him. It says in verse 18 that Jesus comes as a picture of the Father. That Jesus reveals the Father. That this is how we see God. Understanding and knowing God it all starts with Jesus. And you can have a relationship with him today. Ryan is going to be up here at the front after the service, or you can talk with one of the people that you came with, or one of the people on the platform, about how can I begin a relationship with Christ. If you're here today, and you're already a follower of Christ, understand as we go through this book, he wants to be your nearest and dearest. That's such an inviting concept, to be nearest and dearest with Jesus. So I invite you to keep reading the book. Read the Bible. Read the book of John. Read the rest of chapter 1. And in it, there's probably another 10 things about Jesus in John chapter 1. And there's a description of how he calls us to serve him in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 2, which we're going to be in next week, we'll continue our series. Let's meet John's Jesus.